Hello and welcome back to Perspectives. Today's guest is Merlin McCormack. Merlin runs Duke of London, a classic car dealership and restoration business situated in Brentford, London, which also includes a wine bar, pub, pizza restaurant, creative workspaces and much, much more. Merlin has become a prominent figure in the world of classic cars and built a community of like-minded individuals around an impressive industrial warehouse in London which has hosted events monthly, including car meetups and even a drive-in cinema with 70s-inspired servers on roller skates. Duke of London is a space like no other, and Merlin is doing a fantastic job of inspiring the younger generations to take an interest in vintage cars and bikes and turning once-overlooked vehicles into something cool and collectible again. So, without further ado, Merlin McCormack. Perfect. Merlin McCormack, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It's uh, really good to have you on. Thank you for having me, Rhys. So, so I'd like to start with, uh, I'd like to start with a little bit of history for my guests. So if people don't know who you are, who is Merlin McCormack or the Duke of London, as uh, <laughs> the, the Instagram <laughs> handle says. Uh, so yeah, I'm Merlin McCormack. I am um, born and raised in West London and I run a business called Duke of London. I don't refer to myself as Duke of London, I hasten to add. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, Duke of London is kind of a multifaceted business that ranges from a classic car dealership and restoration business uh, all the way through to F&B. So we've got um, a, a wine and cocktail bar, a, a share in a um, pizza restaurant, a Fuller's pub. And in addition to that, we have creative workspaces. So Duke of London under its umbrella has got at the moment about 60 in- individual contained uh, creative workspaces that are occupied by generally artists and small creative businesses and yeah so that's duke of london perfect yeah i really like what we've done in the space we'll get onto that in a bit but i just wanted to start with um firstly duke of london is quite a cool title actually i've, I've tried to sort of take a bit of inspiration and coin myself the the earl of wiltshire but people haven't quite 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 cottoned onto it yet so i'll keep i'll keep trying so i understand your father was involved as a coach builder he, he worked as a coach builder for a very long time uh, for Ben Rolls-Royce and uh Mullen Apart Ward is yeah that correct? correct yeah yeah do you think do you think that's where your passion for wheeled objects and motor vehicles bikes and stuff like that came from yeah without a shadow of doubt so dad has, has had a restoration business yeah. my entire life and as you said he's uh trained professionally as a panel beater he started when he was 16 as an apprentice at Mullen Park Ward on the factory line building at that point in time Rolls-Royce and Bentley Corniches um, he then very quickly progressed through the production line rankings and ended up as the final inspector uh, you know, when he was younger than me looking after some serious stuff for all family stuff etc and he's then applied those skills to his own business started up I think when he I think he opened it on his 30th birthday his business and then uh, kind of snowballed from there so he's been uh, going now for about yeah, 35 years on his own. Um, and yeah, so being brought up around his workshop, summer holidays spent there you know, sweeping the floors and trying to earn some pocket money and whatever else. Um, I think falling in love with cars was kind of inevitable. Um, my mum, away from my dad's business, also had an interest in cars. Her, her parents were very kind of automotive orientated and her dad was a like a team rider for AGS motorbikes, a trials team rider and things like that. So she had kind of yeah, the petrol head blood as well. 
So she always had weird and wonderful cars when we were growing up and between her and dad, yeah, it was inevitable. So my, my parents had a couple of cool cars, but I didn't realize they were that cool until I got to about this age. No, you don't. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I wish you still had that. Why'd you get rid of? She had like a 190E, yeah. uh, dad had like a C class and she had an R129SL as well. Uh, which was really cool and someone wrote it off and I was absolutely gutted because I was there when Good. someone wrote it off someone she was parked up and someone drove into the back of the mm. car as it was parked up on the side of the road in this sort of rural part of Sussex and oh, I was just horrible I just saw it it was almost like it's slow the motion. worst feeling <laughs> yeah yeah that's the worst I think as kids we were kind of like yeah we, we were sort of my brother and I I'm speaking for him but we were a bit embarrassed always because we had like yeah, they, they sort of clapped out old cars it, 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 until you get to an age where you really start to appreciate what these things are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how things change. When does clapped out become cool sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> it's still, still a very vague line there. Yeah, 100%. Uh, then you got your first car. I believe it was age 11. Is that correct? Peugeot 205? Yeah, that was... That's, I yeah, mean, that's so, um, pretty early to, to be getting a car. silly. It, it was, I mean, I've been literally scrimping and saving, I think I kind of probably getting like five for a day for sweeping down the workshop just to sort of keep me out of the way probably. Yes. Um, and we, we, um, I, I saved up some money and uh, eBay was kind of new at the time. People didn't really know how to use it or what it was. So when um, I caught wind of it, I was fascinated by it. And I spent hours on the on the computer, the internet. Yeah, I was, I would have been, oh, this would have been 2000 and, yeah, 2003 or four. So I was, fascinated with the internet and you know, spent hours and hours on it researching cars you know, fanatical about about cars and um started to see that cars were starting to i don't know whether they opened ebay up at that point in time to cars or whatever but started to see that there was stuff coming through i was always searching for like spares and repairs cars or scrap cars yeah because there would be something that might be listed as scrap but it wasn't actually scrap and lo and behold i came across this um Peugeot 205 that had been uh it found its mot for a steering rack the guy put it up there just scrap Peugeot so I clicked on that ran home mum 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 you've got to see this and I think I pestered her into like obviously I was too young to have an account or be able to bid on it so I sort of forced her into letting me bid on this thing and I won it for £32 on a penny <laughs> and it was absolutely fuck all wrong with it um, so it needed a new steering rack but it ran and drove fine it just had a bit of play in the rack so we went to a scrapyard in Hayes got a new rack for it and one of my dad's uh, mechanics helped us fit it and uh, it passed its MOT and off it went. And that then became a, a kind of fascination of mine. Naturally, I felt like king of the world going out to school on the Monday being like, I've bought a car. Everyone thought it was bollocks. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, this kid's mental. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't think it had quite the uh, impact I'd hoped with my friends. They were just like, this kid's weird. And uh, yeah, they sold that for a profit and then carried on in a very loose way carried on kind of bouncing the ball and it snowballed into a business eventually yeah so i was going to ask where the idea for for duke of london came from because i know you've obviously had a passion for cars for a long time and, and bikes and things like that but how did you was there a sort of a standout moment to you that you thought actually i could really turn this into a business yeah yeah i think i spent a lot of my kind of certainly this was obviously when i built the first car was when i was 11 so kind of it was a slow burn for the first three or four years but by the time I started doing my GCSEs at school I, I'd be given a laptop um, to use at school because I, I can barely read my own handwriting let alone the teachers so I managed to get onto the school's Wi-Fi which no one was supposed to do and just spent every lesson at the back of the classroom just trying to find cars to buy or motorbikes to buy or scooters or whatever so I did absolutely no work scrimped through as like almost predicted grades on my uh, 
GCSEs and by the time I hit sixth form college it was like all I was doing I might as well have not gone I was truant because I was like running off to buy and sell at that point it was um, 50 and 125cc mopeds because I could ride them move them around myself with a CBT at that point which saved me a huge cost of transport which I'd incurred with all the cars up to date so yeah Vespers and Ambrettas and things like that was and Jalera runners and you know all the chabby fun stuff too um so yeah I kind of ducked out of college and yeah, really focused on it but was still doing college two or three days a week managed to get myself into a place that I could do two and a half days a, uh, a week at college and spend the rest of the time either working part-time jobs um, or focusing on the cars and the bikes when I finished college I started working um a short stint as a uh, sort of do you know the first half of Wolf of Wall Street when it's really shit and they're like in a boiler room um, it was basically working in a uh, it might as well have been a sort of penny stocks um, yeah. <laughs> call centre uh, it, it was called a private equity firm but I think that was quite a jazzy way of looking at it <laughs> um, so I did that for a year I was quite good at it I absolutely hated it and started working for dad in a bit of a lost sense while still kind of brokering the odd car deal for a friend or selling my own bits and buying and selling stuff dad had never wanted to or tapped into the side of his business where you had this bank of clients um, who eventually inevitably will become friends of his. It's a very kind of personable business. It's not a conventional by any stretch of the imagination. And they would come to him saying, Lance, I'm thinking of selling this or I'm looking to buy one of these. And often he'd refer them to a dealer or a friend of his who had one and maybe make a kickback off of it or maybe not. I was like, you're crazy. You're wasting so much opportunity here. And I'm not saying you exploit these people, but equally, if you want to provide them a service, you'd be good at it. And he's like, I'm not interested. And so we worked together on a couple of deals and uh, it very quickly became apparent to me that I really enjoyed it. People seemed to be trusting me with like obscene amounts of money to buy the stuff for them or sell the stuff for them and very happy with the service they were receiving. So I thought, fuck it, let's formalize this into a business. What's the worst that can happen? Um, when Instagram launched, I we were sat in probably yeah, in a lesson at school, ignoring the teachers as we often did. And uh, my best mate at the time had said, uh, I'll go set mine up, just whatever it was. And I sat there for hours and hours. What should I, what should I make my Instagram? What should I make my Instagram? And I came up with Duke of London and I Googled it quickly to see who is the Duke of London. And there was, uh, an, uh, the, the, the sort of title was offered to Winston Churchill after the war, but he was sort of too humble to accept it. So no one had ever been officially yeah, awarded this title. So with all the arrogance for sixteen year old, I went, Yeah, I'll have that. Yoik. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, so that I, I figured at that point we'd kind of start to grow the social media a little bit just out of fun and stuff. So I thought, well let's exploit that, carry on running with the brand as it wasn't really a brand, but just the identity of it. And name the business after the Instagram. Um and yeah, about six months later we took on our first premises, um, which was adjacent to my dad's workshop. And, and and it just kind of grew arms and legs. Excellent. I've seen, so the Instagram handle thing is quite interesting because I've, I've seen a couple that are actually, someone had at London, which I found out the other day, like that's quite a cool yeah, one David, to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I saw that. The game comes to our best. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. He's lucked out. It's become his life. It's amazing. Yeah. So I look at his account and... Um, and then there was another one I saw the other day on Instagram, which was, I thought was, I'd be in tears for a while. It was just at ass. I was like, that's, well, I don't, don't really know what you're going to do with that handle, but fair enough. Great. Yeah. Good luck to yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do something with that, surely. Yeah. yeah the London one is quite yeah, cool. Quite. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've listened to a few podcasts and a few entrepreneurs and things like that. There's a lot of people that say going from like a salary job to launching your own business is like one of the hardest things they've ever done but it sounds like for you 
it was a bit of an easier transition in that you weren't really interested in the sort of corporate stuff before the private equity stuff really was that quite an easy transition or do you still think it was quite difficult to come away from that i have a salary and now i'm kind of need to really work for it yeah i think to be blunt i was so unhappy in that job that anything was better i mean i went from you know working in a Barclay Square office, it was just not Barclay Square, but like a Mayfair office. They're thinking it was Jack the Lad and everything, and beers in the pub on a Friday night, and did like grinding rust out of cars for my dad overnight. And I was so much happier doing that with dad than I was working there, kind of pretending to be someone that I kind of thought I wanted to be. But I, I kind of been conditioned, I think, by the school environment and a lot of my friends who'd gone straight to university where I, I hadn't. Um, and I sort of felt like I was sort of. You know, in many ways one step ahead of them because I was like oh, I've got the job you want when you come out of university and I'm only 18 and I'm Jack the Lad and it was like actually no this is really shit um, yeah. I was I don't think I've ever been so unhappy in myself so anything away from that environment was going to be a blessing and then to realize quite quickly that I could work for myself properly and I was like oh shit I'm actually doing all right out of this I'm, I'm living off of it is I'm not you know making a fortune but I'm kind of financially stable at a young age naturally I was spending every penny that I made because I was <laughs> young and reckless I don't regret any of it apart from some of it um, but it was like shit, okay well maybe I don't need that corporate structure maybe I don't need the salary reliability there have obviously been times where I've like cried at night wishing I'd gone down that route thinking shit this this would have been so much easier if <laughs> but it, it's been such an adventure I wouldn't take any of it back mm. I think perfectionism holds a lot of people back as well in terms of they feel like they have to get to a certain stage before they pursue the thing they want to do. So if I wanted to, same with this podcast, I I was like, okay, it needs to be, I need to have the best camera set up. I need to have the best mic. I need to make sure I've got the best editing software and things like that. And there was a few times I listened to people and they just said, just need to just get it out there. Just need to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I'm so guilty of that so many times and invariably it never gets to the perfection point when I actually kick something off and I'm like oh what about that and what about that no one cares and like obviously there's things in your mind and you start to realise and even with like the factory the place that we exist in now as a business there's so many bits of the building I'm almost embarrassed about it oh god because we, we built this as a really short term thing it was only supposed to last like 18 months we've been here for 5 years we've been really lucky with stay of executions before it's redevelopment and stuff but there's like bits of wallpaper. I'm like, oh god, we need to sort that out. And it was like, no, it's charming. It's like the quirks of the place. And I'm like, okay, like maybe is it, it is. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny though because you're right with like, using the podcast analogy. It's 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 so true. You kind of like you're fearful of like, oh, people won't take me seriously without that, or if I don't do this. Until you put yourself out there and put your neck on the line, you won't know. And ultimately, if you do do that and you do half a decent job of it, people will respect you even more. I think the kind of grassroots element to it. I've been trying to think of like a way to describe that or sum it up. And have you heard of the whole sort of I'm the main character kind of uh, yeah. theory? So I, I wanted to try and develop like a bit of a, a containerization for what that is. Mm. Sort of like the main character theory that like you think, right. oh, everyone's going to think you're a bit of an idiot. You look like a bit of a dick. You, you Everyone's thinking you're a bit cringe because you're talking on the camera. You've got this podcast. The reality, everyone's too concerned about what they've got going on in their own lives. They might like, have a look and go oh he looks a bit cringe but then they'll forget about it within half an hour so you, you yep. kind of just need to just get on with it anyways and that's the sort of approach i'm trying to take now and doing this and just exploring different things going up and asking guests if they want to come on and things like that so 
and I think it's helped. That's the only way to do it, right? No, yeah. fair play to you. I think uh, it's I think it's a really cool thing uh, that you're doing. I think, and I don't think it's um, certainly it's not something I like. I said at the beginning of this, it's not, it's not something that I would even know where to start with. So I'm, I'm in awe of you, mate. It's 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 a great thing. Keep it up. Well, thank you. Everyone says I talk too much anyway, so I thought I might as well put the. Uh... What perfect job for it, right? <laughs> exactly. I thought I might as well try and do something with it. That innate talent I got for just talking the hind legs off a donkey. But yeah. So, what do you think has been the biggest learning curve for you in terms of launching Duke of London to where you are now, and obviously looking to the future for things you're going to do with scaling up and things like that as well? That's a good question. What's been the biggest learning curve? I think. Um, I think just uh, from a sort of a very selfish perspective it's been kind of uh perhaps it would have been better to try and master some of the art of delegation a little bit sooner um i think there's a big part of me that feels like i've aged exponentially and probably taken years off my life through fear of letting go of certain facets of the business and uh, some of it perhaps it's i've you know kind of given myself a hard time and rightly so um, and perhaps if I had a delegated thing sooner it wouldn't have had the same effect or perhaps it would have impacted quality or you know the experience of the customers or whatever else but yeah I think in a, if I was to start again or you know, to learn from mistakes per se it would be you know, delegate and obviously delegate to the right people which is a skill in itself but um, to work out what your strengths are and not try and cover all bases uh, it, it was about three years before I actually even employed anyone else to do anything for me really um, and that like almost came, not almost too late, but kind of it was getting to the point where I was probably on the brink of burning out. I was like, everything was under one kind of uh, one brain, and it yeah, it was also limiting because there's only so much that you're capable of, and that takes a lot of humble pie to kind of stomach. I think you need to realize that okay, fine, like, this is your baby and your whatever, but you need to let go of some of it in order for it to grow. Otherwise, you're just going to suffocate it and stunt its development. But yeah, that was um. That'd be my kind of biggest advice to anyone else. Did you did you take a sort of a pre and post, you know, like when the presidents go into office and they take like a photo of themselves when they enter versus where they leave just to see how much you do aged in that time? I, I, funnily enough, I saw, I saw a photograph of myself from around the time that um, we opened the factory uh, recently and it was just crazy in such a short period of time to watch. It's almost like a flick book of watching it like, I, I probably uh, visually, I feel outwardly like i've aged 10 15 years and when i tell people how old i am they was like oh wow oh okay oh yeah yeah no, no. it's like yeah cheers thank you <laughs> <laughs> much much obliged yeah, thanks cheers. but i think that's an interesting point though with the delegation thing and i think i i would imagine a lot of people struggle with that especially when they get to yeah. positions of management because they're used to building their own sort of ideas and they know the quality of their work and it's it's almost like stepping into the unknown isn't it really because you don't know yeah yeah you, you don't know what other people are capable of you kind of know but roughly from other people and things like that and their cv or, or whatever it is but you don't actually know if what they're going to do is going to be in line with your vision so i can imagine that i, I could see that being yeah, that, that best of it i can see that being why it was was quite difficult for you yeah it's that it, it really just comes down to and i've got it i've got this i think it's owning your mistakes as well because i've got this wrong a couple of times uh, and it's not necessarily a reflection of these people in particular but there's been times where i've got the kind of person i delegated to wrong and you kind of you you miss um your 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 expectations of someone's can be misread and i think you also it's, it's that 
try to understand someone, especially if you've just employed someone who's applied for a job, you don't know them. Like you're basing this all off of their, the way they've presented themselves and the way they want to be interpreted. And it's, it's a tricky thing to try and, you know, act to the HR department and try and route through to the person at the bottom. And ultimately, we're not a big business. And it, I think as a small young business without any sort of financial independent backing or, you know, whatever, the other big part of it is the kind of costs associated with it. Because you've got to balance, is this person, A, going to cover their own costs, but B, going to ultimately make the business more money by being here? Is it going to free up more time so I can go and develop other things and whatever else? That's that's impossible to quantify until you, you don't know until you've tried it. Like, much like starting a podcast, unless you start recording, how how can you possibly tell? Yeah, it's almost like that funnel where you, you start as a wide, quite generic, and then you refine it as time goes on to, to kind of what you want. Yeah. So you spoke about having over 60 sort of businesses in Duke of London. It seems like you've built a pretty phenomenal sort of community around that. I, I've not actually been down yet. I'd have been meaning to go, but it's in Brentford. Is that belief? You must. You must come. Is it Brentford? Yeah. Yeah, Brentford in West London. Yeah. So you said you got a pub, you got a wine bar. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed, obviously, the, the whole car sales and stuff is classic cars mainly, and bikes and things like that. I know you've got art on the walls that you sell and things things along those lines. Is there a particular era that is either your favourite or that inspires you the most? Um, I think to be honest, it's it's a real tricky one. I'm I'm really sort of fickle with what I like and what I stock, um, and a, a lot of it is stuff that both myself and the team like appreciate. And you know, every so often we'll get a car in, and I'll be like, "God, why have you consigned that?" Or the, vice versa, they'll be like, "Are you sure you lost the plot?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, trust me, these are going somewhere." Or, um, so it's it's really kind of personally subjective. I think we've got um, a real penchant for the naturally with the sort of market trends of the stuff from the yeah, 80s and 90s at the moment. Um, I still love the pre and post war stuff. I love the Americana stuff, hot rods, custom cars. Um, but there's it, not yeah, commercially, it wouldn't be viable, I don't think, at the moment, sadly, to just exist dependent on, the, yeah, the, especially the level of price point that we occupy, which is generally 20 to 100 grand. Um, it's, a, it's a tougher sell. The, the cars are great, but the, the market has dipped a bit. There's no secret. Um, but we've got uh, we, we've got the it's kind of the means to go and be selective with what comes in. We've only got so much space here. We can't go. We we can't kind of overstock ourselves and try and take too much risk because we've got uh, yeah, a finite amount of space to occupy with these cars. So if we ended up stocking stuff that I just liked, it, we wouldn't make any money, frankly. <laughs> so we have to be a little bit open minded. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a tough call. Yeah. Definitely. I, I like the the plonkers looks quite cool as well. It looks very sort of Playboy esque, I would say. With the yeah, but that's that's all George's. That uh, George have very kindly um, designed that for us, and uh, at least an amazing job of it. But you're right, it's it's got that. I kind of loose brief was like I want it to feel like a a first class seventies airport lounge, and she's absolutely nailed it. Um, it's all like very kind of mid-century soft furnishings and glowing curtains and lights and yeah it's really cool she's done a really really good job with it and the team that run it are phenomenal as well awesome i've noticed there's a lot more automotive and sort of motorsport themed cafes and not so much bars but cafes definitely that are popping up around the uk so there's obviously caffeine and machine that was uh, quite quite a popular one i think there's a few in sussex that i know of like fuel and yep. talk, I think. Um, I've been down to a couple. Yep. Not, I think caffeine machine's pretty good. I think it's 
but I don't think any of them come close to what you're trying, what you're doing, or what you're trying to do. Do you have any theories on why or what particularly sets you apart from the rest and the, and the competition, so to speak? Although there may not be competition to you. I think, about to be blunt, I, I'm hugely um, in awe of what all of those guys have achieved. It's you're right; it is different to what we're offering, but they've absolutely nailed their own sectors. I think they're doing a really great job of it, and I'm so glad that these things exist because ultimately it's all complementary to each other the, the bigger the car community is the more we all benefit um where i think they serve as purpose-built cafes or you know, driving destinations per se obviously we're a little bit different from that and i think that kind of is where we do differ in, in, in the other you know, cold, cold face of it this place i want it to be more of a it's it, there's no pretense it doesn't need to be you can come here just with a family and the dog on a Saturday afternoon. You can come into your car. You can come in for a pizza. It's it, there's no angle. It's not, it, which has its pros and cons. Obviously, um, we only have enough space in the the, the, the yard, the forecourt, the place to park on a busy day when we're, we're open for business, maybe twenty or thirty cars, and on an event day up to about seventy if they're door to door. So it, we're not we don't we don't have an abundance of space either so we we know we couldn't exist here as a like you know cafe and machine type the driving destination also we're in london you know, people aren't other than people who are local or are heading here for an event i'm not expecting people to come here on a you know a wild cotswolds driving tour it, it wouldn't happen it, it, we're too far away and inside of it but equally we are in london and there's a huge car scene here that isn't catered for um so yeah without it being exclusive to anybody it is kind of London's clubhouse for the automotive stuff. I, I want it to be open to everyone, regardless of what car they've got. If they haven't got a car, they just want to come and appreciate stuff. As long as they're all well behaved and respectful, come on in. Um, with that, we've policed it quite well. I know that sadly, Cavity Machine have obviously had a load of issues with uh, people driving and the way they <laughs> arrive and leave the venue and stuff. But we, because we're quite in a built-up area, we don't really have these issues, and it's been a little bit easier for us on that front because we don't have the numbers coming and going. We don't have the queue of people stood on the pavement at the car meets waiting for everyone to leave and stuff because um, we don't allow it um, so no. yeah it is different um, but it kind of intentionally are you concerned at all about the impact of uh, i don't want to get political at all but just to touch on it the impact of ules and things like that obviously there's a daily charge now for driving in london which is yeah. fairly astronomical do you are you worried at all that's going to affect what? your business i think the proof's in the pudding we had a um like an anti ULEDs drive out a couple of weeks ago on the last, the bank holiday Monday, the very last day before it all kicked in in the extension zone that we're currently situated in. And it was well attended, and yeah, everyone's of the same opinion. The whole thing's a bit of a farce and whatever else. And again, not to get too political, but I thought the only way that I'm ever going to, people going, aren't you worried? You know, oh, how, what are you going to do? And I, I don't know. I, I really, do I need to be worried? I, I, it, it will remain to be seen. And we had our first. We do a monthly uh, car meet, charity car meet on the third Sunday of every month called Classics and Cake. We had our first one last Sunday and it was sold out and I've subscribed. So I was like, well, there you go. I'm not going to bother losing any sleep over this. And the, the sad reality of it is, is frankly, the local authorities know that we're just going to pay it uh, if we want to do it. It's not great and it, it's it's ridiculous. The whole thing's a farce in my opinion. And it's you know, pinching the people who theoretically are worse off at the moment with the cost of living crisis and everything else. So I'm, I'm totally opposed to it. Not opposed to cleaner air, of course, um, but the, the way that the scheme's been rolled out is pretty deplorable. But the car enthusiast community, thankfully, whilst it will obviously cause us some drop-offs, um, seemingly is uh, still interested in coming here. And they, it, I, was, I was very 
careful to note what was arriving last Sunday. Is it just stuff that's you know, compliant or exempt? And it wasn't. It was the usual stuff. Lots of 80s and 90s stuff that is nowhere near compliant. The people are paying the 12 50 because they still want to come. Yeah, ultimately, 12 50 is a lot of money for some people, but to some people who want to come to our events, it might not be. So I'm hoping it doesn't deter too many people, but I am sad for the people who now will take a stance on it. But unfortunately, there's nothing that we personally can do about that. Yeah, that's fair enough. And uh, it's like the there's a stoic saying where it's like don't don't punish yourself before something happens and it sounds like you've kind of taken that approach where don't well, don't you. worry about it don't suffer in the anticipation of something that might not not happen <laughs> what's the point yeah what's the point yeah I, I i was obviously secretly quite nervous about it but um yeah thankfully i've seen touch wood one event in i can't base it all off one event either but so far so good <laughs> yeah so is there anything in the pipeline for duke of london next that you can discuss there may be something that you can't discuss but be interested to know yeah um yeah there's a couple of sort of top secret bits but they're um, they'll come to come to light soon enough i'm sure um in the nearest of futures um we've got loads of events going on over the course of the autumn and winter we've been given a stay of execution uh for the 10th or 11th time which i'm very very grateful for to uh our developer who the, the developer who owns this building our landlord um, they have given us until at least mid-March here. So we're going to make the most of the last, potentially the last six months that we have here. We may roll on again. That At the moment, I'm kind of bookmarking that in my head that that could be D-Day. Um, and with that, they've also incredibly, um, I don't know, it's been an incredible kind of journey with them. We, we've got a great working relationship with them and they can see, I think, the value having the community of the businesses here and the, the the attraction of the footfall and everything else so together we've designed a new permanent home for duke of london um, with the current landlord of this place in the new building that's about 500 meters away from the current building um long lease so we don't have to worry we can actually plan for the future we're not no longer on a three-month rolling term which has caused many a sleepless nights over the last four or five years so yeah that should come it should be opening at the end of march that's that's the plan we get in the beginning of the new year and start our fit out and uh yeah really excited it's a space that's purpose built for cars the building we're in at the moment is an old factory it was never designed to have vehicles driving in and out of it it's an absolute nightmare to get stuff in and out of um, we make it work it looks cool but logistically it's a massive headache for me and the staff we spend half our day moving cars the new place it's it's a really cool space right on the river like sort of triple height constantina glazing overlooking the river with our own forecourt again on the river the F&B stuff, so the, the um, cafe, bar, restaurant will all like, move over there and in the summer we can open up and have seating outside and people can bring their cars down still and yeah, it's going to be really cool. We're expanding our storage space, so we, we store cars for people, we, we're doubling our footprint for that within that building as well and yeah, we're doing it all to a different standard and obviously we did this place on a temporary basis so I'm really, really excited for that but around what else we've got going on uh, around Christmas time, we're opening a pop-up store here, so merchandise pop-up store. So we're teaming up with some really cool brands that I think are in line with what we're doing. People that you'll know and recognize, no doubt, and all kind of loosely automotive themed. And we're going to open a physical um, shop over Christmas uh, as a bit of a proof of concept and pretty transparent about these things. If it works, then we'll, t- we'll carry the, the concept over into the new space on a permanent basis. I think it, it should be quite good because the types of people and the brands that we're working with don't actually really have a, a tangible presence in London. Um, but they're all very well appreciated and yeah, by the car community far and wide and some of them are based in the states and europe and stuff so they don't really have much of a footholding here so hopefully this will open their horizons up um on a bigger level as well so, yeah i'm excited for that um georgia's 
about to crack on and design the interior of that and then the car park as well so she's very busy for us obviously doing her own thing as well but grateful to her for all of her hard work and help because her, her kind of uh, vision of the aesthetic is uh, kind of very heavily influenced by you know plonkers and things like that so I'm, I'm looking forward to carrying that over and seeing how she develops that but yeah that's where we're at that sounds sounds amazing i'm really excited to see what you do with the new the new studio uh new sort of space does that mean you're going to have boats as well when you uh when you have the the on yeah. the riverfront we see some boats yes, uh, arriving I, I in the showroom as well <laughs> i'd love some like 80s cigarette racing boats or something that would be like the dream just like mounted on the uh the banks of the river but yeah uh, annoyingly it's like a 30 foot drop at low tide and a 15 foot at high tide drop from our terrace onto the river so i don't know how well we're going to uh, get a floating pontoon down there just <laughs> have to fashion something out of some old barrels or something <laughs> like some lifeboats instead <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> have you still got your little yeah. boat i know you did like a jps sort of little wooden one and i've seen you a few summers yeah, but I, well, I, I was cruising down the river yeah um, so George and I bought a, a wooden one that was it used to be my dad's when we were kids. We never went on the water in it. He just had it sat in the yard behind his old workshop that we played in and pretended we were on the water in his kids. Um, George and I bought that about five years ago. That's almost five years later, nearly restored. We put it on the water for one summer and then took it off and have had the whole deck redone. Um, kind of don't buy a boat. It, just, just don't do it. They're horrific. <laughs> Even cars are bad. Um, and then I built this little, as I built, I, I bought a 12 foot 70s. 80s 80s Fletcher fiberglass speedboat as well a little outboard on the back and we painted it all up and liveried it up as a JPS kind of cigarette inspired boat uh, sold it to a couple of guys who had it a couple of years and I only recently just bought it back I'd planned to have the wooden boat ready for this summer but it wasn't so I ended up buying this thing back they're worth none of these things are worth any money of any note whatsoever they're just like pocket money boats but I, I love that they're so much fun we get to bounce up and down the Thames on it uh, yeah it's, it's good fun it's not all, it's not always about the price so i think with a lot of things um i'm pumped no i know heavily. but when you start talking about boats <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm quite heavily involved in sort of the watch community and things like that so i i'm part of a group where you go and kind of meet every they normally have something on at least once a month um it's called red bar i don't know if you've heard of it at all yeah uh, so they've do, done some sort of events around London. You do stuff at boutiques, but then they do one like just going to the pub and meeting up. People get to show their either latest purchases and things like that. And some people come in with hundred pound watches. Some people come in with hundred grand watches. And everyone's curious to see what everyone's got. There's no sort of element of snobbery or anything like that. So I think it is quite nice. You can get a lot of enjoyment. I guess the point I'm trying to make is you you can get a lot of enjoyment out of things without spending a huge amount of money. Which I think is a common misconception people have. Yeah, 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 definitely. EVs. What's your What's your opinion on those? Because I know there's some interest. I've seen Lunas. Obviously, Lunas Design. They've done some pretty, pretty cool stuff. And when I spoke to them at the concourse, they had some interesting reasons for doing it. They said they weren't taking cars off the road to to convert them. They were saving cars that were destined for the bin, effectively. Um, but then there's also no. I think you feel quite strongly about a certain Ferrari that's been yeah converted to uh, no no comment to an EV which I saw at Goodwood, but uh, yeah I, I'm just interested in your your general consensus on the whole thing. Um, I think on the the kind of um, the more conventional EVs, yeah, your Teslas and Hyundai's and stuff. I think it, obviously it serves a purpose. I can't help feel like there's an element of um, you know once removing the problem at the moment. While the whole power network for it is still fueled by fossil fuels and everything else, the 
I mean, and, and especially the manufacturing process for both the cars and the batteries and the kind of disposable nature and shelf life of the cars themselves, it, it's a bit farcical. Um, I think there is obviously, yeah, this is going to take time to adjust and develop and there will come a point where hopefully the, yeah, the grid can rely on more sustainable energy sources and it can truly be a greener alternative um, and with that the build quality of these cars should hopefully be improved the technology advanced in such a way that they can be developed and adapted not just you know, at the end of a three-year lease essentially thrown in the bin you're seeing like a you know, 2015 tesla now but it's, you can't give them away the batteries are old people won't stand by them you, know, you can't get warranties and things and it, yeah not, i'm paraphrasing but the general gist of it is all heading in a pretty negative direction um it's like getting a new iphone every year we don't think twice about doing it we never really think about the implications of you know ecologically of what we're doing because it's not being sold to us as a green product the whole hypocrisy for me at the moment about the evs is like well look you, you, you're branding this up as a, something that's going to be beneficial to the environment and yet we're here again in a two three four year lease going okay cool there's the keys back next like hey, hey, there's no like uh cognitive association with what then happens to that car uh, and no real a lot of care and again generalizing massively here but uh, you get the gist um i think going forward the bamford's development of the hydrogen stuff is probably where i would hedge my bets i think there's going to be far more seemingly if it goes according to plan as it's going seemingly so far for them i think that's a far more uh, obviously sustainable route of production um and then onto the classic converted stuff i think if you're right if they're taking stuff that's destined for the bin then fine or if it's something that perhaps um isn't defined by the character of its petrol engine great you know i'm thinking something like a, yeah I, lo I love driving them for the fact they're you know, a peppy little engine but like an old fiat 500 if you you know or a fiat jolly for instance turn that electric great i totally get it little small journeys whatever but yeah to touch on the uh, the sensitive subjects of the, the certain ferrari then like i mean it's it's like uh, yeah, I actually I drove. I won't name names, but I drove um, a, a Porsche being converted, and I was um, yeah. It, it it was like it was very well built, beautifully designed, and I'm sure they've you know, and I know they're doing commercially very well with it, and I totally get it. But I couldn't personally help but feel like, right, where's the soul? Like, where's the? Yeah, it still it drove well. It's fast. It was whatever, but. I'm still looking for more. I'm like, well, where's the? I want to hear yeah. it. I'm, and I'm, I'm a complete and utter like asbo yob for like loud exhaust as well. So I'm like, I don't want something synthetic for God's sake. I don't want some artificial exhaust. Not even in a petrol car where you've got people <laughs> beaming sounds through the speakers, and then you've got these things that are silent. And let's be real, in a classic car, you can invariably then hear every creak, rattle, shake. They all had everyway, but has been masked by the sound of the engine. Like my testosterone, if, if that was silent, I know it would sound like a bag of fucking nails. Like, I know. It yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, right now, because you can't hear it, I'm not concerned. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The old Defender, Defender rattles that you got going on in Testarossa. Yeah. Yeah, quite. I understand what you've said about the smoke and mirrors almost, isn't it? And I'd quite like to get someone who's in the industry to come on the podcast and just expand on some of these points because, because set the yeah, set the record yeah yeah I'm, I'm no specialist in that i don't want to be misquoted on it but it's like it just doesn't seem to make sense on the surface it's like uh, and i've done pretty thorough research on it i'm like yeah i'm of the same opinion because it's it's not just the emissions from the car you're looking at the life cycle of the whole car you've got batteries to mine batteries to dispose of you've got where's the power generation if everyone's driving an electric car the 
energy demand on the grid is going to go up. My how's that being produced? Well, if you've got non if you've got renewable sources, it's not at the moment, you know. And the wind's not blowing. You're going to have mm. all the all the sort of mass wind turbine farms that are going to need to be built, and they've only got like a limited efficiency, and they're quite weather dependent and things like that. So yeah, it's I I would be really interested to see from someone who's in the industry who's quite heavily involved with it. I think Andy trying to get Andy Palmer on would be quite yeah, good yeah. as well. So he was used to be the CEO of the Martin in his home. And he's quite heavily involved in that and quite a big advocate for EVs. So I think he would be quite a good person to get on. So watch your space. I don't really? know if I'm big enough to get yeah. everyone, but we'll see. Aim high, man. Don't ask, don't get, do you? Aim high. Absolutely. So in terms of events coming up, what are the key events that people should come and have a look at, come and get down to? Where can they find out more information? Yeah, so um, in the very near future, this Sunday we're hosting, really proud to be hosting the um, Distinguished Gentleman's Drive uh, start route for London, uh, the West London one. So we've got uh, all the guys that you know, come out in their pre-80s cars all dressed to the nines, guys and gals. Um, and then we're doing a drive out to the uh, Bromont uh, sure. factory out in Henley. And then uh, going forward, we've got loads of, um, we do lots of parties and kind of, themed events here with the Plonkers Bar and so collaborate with them on that so we've got a big Halloween party coming up we've got a big end of summer party at the end of this month next Saturday and then on the third Sunday of every month continually we've got our classics and cake meets so from 9am to 1pm doors are open um, it's £10 a ticket per car and that all goes to charity and uh, yeah we just encourage everyone to come down um, to yeah, bring their bring their cars down there's no real we're very loose on the, the, um, the categorization of what's eligible and not uh, it would, with a certain, it was just as long as everyone's well behaved and it really fast. But um, yeah, generally, it's something classic or a uh, modern performance car, something interesting too. Um, and then we've got, uh, we do the uh, Porsche night every other month. We're organizing a big driving tour for Flat 12 Ferraris uh, in a couple of weekends' time. Uh, so 365BB, 512BB, Testarossa, the 512TR, and the 512Ms. Um, so we've got a, a nice uptake on that. And uh, yeah, always some niche and weird and wonderful things going on we've got uh, a link on our website it's just dukeoflondon.co.uk where everything's publicized on there and there's a calendar on there of the events that get rolled out usually a month or two in advance and then on socials as well we share everything on there so i'll put the instagram and the website in the in the comments below on the on the sort of podcast notes cool thank you final question dream car do you have one sounds like you're living the dream at the moment anyways um yeah it's it's been a it's, it's a tricky one. It, there, there, there's a few things that I would like to do and build and whatever, but I think I'm quite content. I, I think one, one car that really has thrown me on such it already was the Testarossa. I didn't, I kind of thought, yeah, this can drive like a sack of shit and it'll be funny for five minutes. And I, I think they're cool looking and that's it. I've genuinely bonded so much with that car. It's the one car that I've got now that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever sell this. Um, it's, yeah, it, uh, maybe, yeah might have to one day or whatever but right now i'm like i'm really kind of digging that i, I a lot more than i ever thought i would and it's funny because a lot of people who have driven them for a yeah, oh, i drove one of those ones they're terrible or whatever versus people who've actually owned driven and living with them uh live live and lived with them um they, they're, they're all kind of the same camp they're like yeah there's something kind of cool and special about them they, they are like awful to drive on paper but i don't know it's just like really cool and charming about it so that, that's right now i'm pretty happy with that um, yeah, I haven't got any big ambitions at the moment. I'm trying to focus on kind of the move and building the new place, so that's probably s saving my bank account as well <laughs> in many ways, and also yeah. hinder hindering it in others. But um, yeah, yeah, kind uh, of, uh, yeah. 
have you seen the one the tester said that i think he's a japanese chap mad lane kazuki i think his name is yeah he's put it on like he slammed it on air ride and yeah i think he's deep dish to wheels and things like that just looks, it looks like a cartoon i mean it I'm, doesn't look real yeah i get air ride but yeah uh, I get it in certain aspects, but I think that one is it's quite cool. Yeah, it is very um, cool. I like the color of yours as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, the the, uh, the Japanese one is it just looks like it looks almost like yeah, like a sort of CGI drawing of a some sort of like yeah, cartoon yeah. sketch. But yeah, fair place for him. Merlin, thank you very much for your time today. I uh, really appreciated the episode and uh, enjoyed it. No, thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>